Will you pray with me? God, we are grateful for your word, and um, Lord, I am especially grateful for this series. Lord, I'm, I'm thankful uh, for the, the humility that you have brought our church and the openness to your word. Lord, thank you for the way that you've used your word in this series to grow and change me. And I, I think I speak for many when I say that, um, Lord, this has been a, a challenging but a very good few weeks looking at the spiritual gifts that you have given us. Holy Spirit, thank you for comforting us and guiding us and, and apportioning and empowering these gifts in us. We pray tonight and as we continue forward in the many weeks to come as a church that you would continue to make known the gifts that you have so generously uh, given to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here we are at the season finale of our series, The Gift. I, I do believe that this series has been groundbreaking uh, for our church. I know for me personally, this series has been groundbreaking, and I've heard stories about what's been taking place in the community groups of how nobody wants to leave, no one's checking their watch, uh, they got to get home and get ready for work because the conversations are deep and dynamic. I've heard stories from many of you about groups of you getting together after service and going to dinner, and instead of just talking about your week, you're asking, hey, what do you think your spiritual gifts are? Like, not normal conversations over dinner. And some of you have been texting me and sharing with me that God has used this series, especially last week when we looked at the power gifts, to open you up to things that you were previously closed off to, and that you're still in the journey of processing what those gifts uh, look like and the gifts that God has given you, but it's... It's been groundbreaking for your faith. I think that uh, this series overall has been really incredible. And what I want to encourage you and remind you of is that this is only the beginning. Uh, we want to be intentional as a church. We want to continue this momentum. We want to resource you to discover your spiritual gifts, to see them developed, and then to see you deploy them in the life of the church. I don't think that this is just like a series, and then we just like move on to the next one, which we're starting next week uh, in the book of Judges. That'll be a wild one too, if you know anything about the book of Judges. But this isn't just a series. I really do think that this is going to change a lifestyle in our church as we serve with power in the way that God has gifted us. And my prayer is that a year from now, we're going to look back on where God has us as a church right now, and we're going to see the way that he used this series to shape and to build and to grow this church and to activate things uh, in us and through us in our city in ways that we could never imagine. And so we're closing out tonight with looking at how we deploy our spiritual gifts. We started all the way back weeks ago. We said Jesus is our model and example of what it looks like to serve out of and to use spiritual gifts. We talked about what spiritual practices are and disciplines and how those are different from spiritual gifts. Then we defined spiritual gifts, and we took three weeks to look at all 21 of them, the ones that we're um, going to kind of put forth. There, there's more, but the 21 main ones in, in three categories, love gifts, word gifts, and power gifts, and we close tonight looking at what does it look like to actually deploy them, to, to use them in the life of the church. And so tonight for this sermon, I, uh, I tapped into my inner preacher, and I have five Ps uh, that the, the outline. I don't normally do this, but I just felt like I had to because the text was like screaming this to me. And here are the five Ps that I want us to see and track through in this passage, Ephesians chapter 4. I want us to see our posture, our position, our power, our purpose, 
and our prosperity. So the first three verses, we see our posture as the Apostle Paul writes this letter to the church in Ephesus around 62 AD. He is in prison. He spent two years with the church in Ephesus, encouraging them, preaching the gospel, raising up the church, teaching them about spiritual gifts. And then he is away from them in prison. He writes this letter to them. And here's what he says in chapter four. I, therefore I, Paul, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Christianity at this point is in its infancy. It's just beginning. The church is just beginning to grow and to assemble. And, and people are asking very basic questions of faith, questions that many of us are asking and we're still sorting through, which is how does my faith in Jesus and his life, his death, and his resurrection affect my life, my everyday life? And how does it affect the way that I treat other people? And so he writes here and he says, I, I want you to see your calling. I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I want you to walk with God. And he begins to outline what that looks like. He says, when you lead a life worthy of your calling, when you walk with God, you have a certain posture about you. You posture yourself towards others, specifically others in the church, but outside as well, but specifically in the church, you posture yourself with gentleness and with humility and with love and with patience and with forgiveness. The question that you have to ask yourself is he says this very like broad statement. I want you to live a life worthy of the calling that God has given you. I want you to walk with God. And then he starts talking kind of more micro about their posture and how you, you posture yourself with others in the church and you're to be humble and gentle and forgiving. The question is why does he... First, jump to your posture towards other people regarding your calling that God has given you to walk with him. And the reason is, is because he's drilling down on something here that he talks about all throughout his letters in the New Testament, and that is this. To walk with God is to be united with God's people. To walk with God is to be united with God's people. If you're a note taker, you need to write that down. If you text it in the app, it's there for you. Walk to walk with God is to walk with God's people. That means you cannot walk with God alone. You're not meant to walk with God alone. So we're a communal species, and our destiny and our promises and the eternity is not alone with God. We are going to be together. Our promise is to be together as the family of God with Christ for eternity. Our salvation is even communal in that sense. We can fall prey to believing that our faith and our spirituality is only about us and that I walk with God by myself and then I do other things with other people of similar faith when it fits my schedule, but that's not walking with God. To walk with God is to walk with God's people. Now listen, it's really important that you spend time with God alone. That's important that you have personal worship and that you spend time meditating and praying and studying God's word on your own and, and confessing to God. All these spiritual practices that we looked at weeks ago, that you have that as a rhythm of your life and you engage and spend time with God daily, so important. But that is not the center of your faith. 
You see, your time with God alone is to refuel and to re-energize you to walk with God's people. It spurs you on. It, it helps to develop your posture and your character so that when you come together with God's people, not just on a Sunday, but you're living life and touching God's people in regards to different avenues and in your work and, and over lunch and in community group and all these different places, you're walking with God's people. Your posture is being developed by the spiritual practices that you spend and engage with, with God alone. You see, our personal faith is supported by the community of faith that we're connected to. If, if you're like me, you have many times in your life where there's seasons of um, difficulty in your relationship with God. Sometimes people say that you, they're feeling spiritually dry, feeling like God is distant. Maybe you have become overwhelmed with doubts and you're trying to sort through them. You just, you're having a really tough time. Like to actually spend time praying would be like a miracle because you're just really struggling in your faith. You see, if you're in that season and you're in that place in your personal faith where you're having a, a difficult time in your relationship with God, you're full of doubts, you're feeling that God is distant, and you're not seeing any encouragement, you're not seeing any comfort, you're not seeing any growth, you're not seeing any hope, you're probably not connected to a community of faith. You see, your personal faith is supported by the community of faith. We're all going to go through difficult seasons in our faith, but when you walk with God, you walk with God's people, which means when you struggle in your faith with God, you have God's people with you to comfort you and to encourage you and to challenge you and to pray for you and to cry with you and to listen with you because we walk together in our faith. Our calling is to have a posture towards one another that is gentle and humble and forgiving and kind and loving because we're walking together with God. Because when we posture ourselves in this way, what it does is it solidifies the reality of our position with God and our position together. That's why Paul, right, right next in the immediate verse after verse 3 and 4, he says this, For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future, there's one Lord and one faith and one baptism and one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all and living through all. Our position is a position of oneness. There's a word here that is emphasized a lot. What's the word? Guys. What is the word in verses four through six that is emphasized over and over again? One, right? It, I mean... It's almost obnoxious how many times he says it. He's emphasizing that we are one. What does he want us to see? That our position as a church, that we believe that we're one body, we're one family of God, regardless of where you come from, regardless of what you've done. Through faith, we are one body. We have one spirit given to all of us. Next, he says, we have one hope promised to all of us. We have one Lord that we all worship. We have one faith that we all subscribe to. We have one baptism that we've all received the sign and seal of God's grace. And we have one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all that we trust in. You see, our faith is intertwined. And our destiny is intertwined. And our promises are intertwined. What does that suggest? That we are to be intertwined. Everything about our faith and our promises 
and who and the God that we worship, everything is intertwined, and yet we sometimes fall prey to believing that, well, I don't really need to be intertwined with God's people. I can walk with God by myself. No, we walk with God with God's people because our position is one of oneness. Well, what does it look like to be intertwined with God's people? What does it look like to be together in the way that God envisions for us? That's what we see next in verse 7 and 8, that our position, it requires something of us, and what it requires is our power, specifically the power given to us. He says, however, verse 7, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. You see, we are intertwined, but we're not without direction. We're given direction, which is that we have been given gifts that we're supposed to deploy into the life of the community for the benefit of others. Special gifts that God has given us out of his generosity, Christ has granted gifts to you through faith that you're not to just use for yourself, but you're to give to the community. He's just been talking about oneness, and now he says, you've been given gifts. The gifts are to be used for the sake of others. And they're gifts of power. See, here's why they're gifts of power. Because they come from God. (laughs) They have to be powerful. Regardless of whether you fall in the category of love gift and your gift is administration or giving or helps or service or you have a word gift and you have the gift of teaching or apostleship or leadership or shepherding or evangelism or whether you have a power gift in that category and you have the spiritual gift of prophecy or discernment or intercession, whatever it may be, it comes with power. You serve from power because it's been given to you by God. There's an incredible image here in verse, the second half of verse 8 where he says this. He's speaking about Jesus. He said, Jesus, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. There's an image being presented to us, and it's the image of Jesus as a warrior king, a warrior who who comes into the battle, and he rescues captives who are imprisoned, and he takes those that are imprisoned, and he leads them with him out of their imprisonment to victory, and then he gives them the spoils of his victory, which are gifts. This is the gospel. God came in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ and he lived a life that we couldn't and he died a death that we deserve so that he could rescue us imprisoned to sin and death and judgment and he proved it through his resurrection and when he ascended, he brings us with him to victory and gives us gifts. You see, he gives us an eternal gift which is a gift of salvation where we can know that we will be together as people of faith with God in perfect relationship, forgiven regardless of our offenses because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. That's an eternally enjoyed gift of salvation through faith. But he's also given us gifts that we can enjoy now. Spiritual gifts. And he's going to call us here to deploy into the life of the church. I know many of you are still processing a lot of what we talked about in this series, and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I don't really know what my spiritual gifts are. There's none of them that I I heard that I thought that's completely me. I'm a little bit skeptical and unsure. Maybe I don't have 
of spiritual gifts. Like I was like the one person left out. If you feel like that, it's not true. You have gifts. There's a promise here. Through faith in Christ, you have received the spoils of his victory, and he has given you a gift, at least one, probably more. But the the truth is, as we said last week, is that the discovery and the development of spiritual gifts takes time. It takes time. It requires patience, but you should be expectant. You should claim the promises of God and be expectant and lean on others. You see, this is a critical component of the church. The church should foster an environment where other people can come, people of faith, and discover their spiritual gifts and see them developed and then deploy them. The majority of our spiritual gifts are confirmed by others. And some of you have experienced that as you felt the Spirit confirming something in you, and then other people came around you and said, yes, that's totally a gift that you have. I've seen that in your life. There's a really important question to ask, though, if you are struggling with determining what your spiritual gift is or how many of them do you have, you have to ask this question. Am I connected to the church in a way where other people can observe and confirm gifts in my life? You see, if you're not walking with God by walking with God's people and and arriving with a posture of gentleness and humility and love and forgiveness and you're not tapped into experiencing the oneness of God's community, then you're going to struggle to determine what your gifts are. Because there's no one in your life that is capable of confirming a gift in you or observing your life and and challenging you and comforting you with a gift that they see. If church is just a religious task that happens on Sunday night when you attend, it's going to be really difficult for you to discover the spiritual gifts that you've been given. And that's why things that that are put forth in not just our church, but many churches, most churches probably, is that things like community group and and serving are not just things that, you know, to make you feel good because you're doing a little bit more than Sunday night. And so you got like a gold star for Jesus because you went to community group and now you served. (laughs) See, they're there so that you can get to know people. Community group is where you can get to know other people and people get to know you. You study God's word, you share doubts, you pray together, you not only spend time once a week, but then you go out to dinner on the weekends and you have parties at your condo together. And This is a place where people can, can see and observe who you are as a person and what you're going through and the way that you interact and say, Here, here's a gift I see in you. I don't know if you see it, but I see it and I think all of us see it and they can confirm that in you because they know you. The same is true of serving. You know, serving isn't just something you do as a spiritual practice or discipline because you know you're supposed to, and so you just serve when you can. It's important to do it. Shameless plug. Please join the gather team. We need people to help set up and tear down. You see, most of us, we, we engage in serving because we know there's a need, and it's a spiritual practice. And so we say, I can serve once a month, and I'm going to join this team and help serve the church. But what you discover when you serve is that you come around other people who are seeing you fill needs and, and interact and, and serve. And then they're saying, hey, here's a gift I see in you. I want to encourage you with this. 
You see, when you recognize that your position is oneness, is unity with the body of Christ, and you're to posture yourself with gentleness and humility and love and actually be involved in each other's lives where you can actually display that towards one another, you're going to see that God's going to use other people to confirm gifts in you, and then you can serve with power. How many of us go through our lives engaging with church and never experience serving with power? Because we don't serve out of our gifting, because we haven't connected in a way where we've ask people to, to speak into our life and confirm gifts in us. It takes time, but it's unbelievable when God uses his church to wake us up to the way that he's gifted us, the spoils of his victory that he's handed to us each uniquely. That's where there's meaning and joy found in the church when we serve out of our gifting. And what it does when we serve out of our power has been given to us, it makes known our purpose. Not just my purpose or your purpose, but our purpose. That's what the Apostle Paul says next in verse 11. He says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. This is not exhaustive. It's some of them. He says, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers, and their responsibility, notice these are all word gifts in that category, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith. Notice the language here. Our faith and knowledge of God's Son so that we, not just you, we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. You see, we are one body, many members, different functions. And the Apostle Paul here picks out a few of these word gifts. Remember, if you remember that category, the word gifts, they clarify the nature, actions, and purposes of God. And so he says here, there are gifts given to the church, apostles, and prophets, or leadership, and teaching, and evangelism, and pastoring. And these gifts, their purpose and their responsibility is to equip the church. To do what? To do its work. Each person would do their work in the building up of the church. Unity, building up the unity of the church. Right now, I'm deploying the gift of, spiritual gift of teaching. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit, through my time and my preparation and my delivery, will encourage you and equip you to do the work that God has called you to. That he would make known to you the gifts that you've been given, that you would see how you might develop them. The Spirit would convict you of the next step that you need to take to build the church with the power that has been given to you through His gifts. My purpose is not to garner praise from you. It's not to flame my ego because you're like, that illustration was so good. (laughs) And I'm like, I know. (laughs) And it's not to make you feel good. And everybody just walk out with positive vibes. It shouldn't be that. I'm not saying in my sinfulness that at times maybe I struggle with that. But my prayer is that the spiritual gift of teaching would equip you to do the work that God has called you to do. Because he says here that our purpose is that we would mature in the Lord. We together Not just individually, but we would mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. You see, we may function differently in the church because we all have different gifts, but we have the same end. 
The same pursuit, which is that we together mature in the Lord and we build the church together. Some people equip, some people support, some people make God known in the moment through their spiritual gifts, some people encourage, some people pray. Oh, there's so many different spiritual gifts, but they're all used to build the church that we together might mature in the Lord in our faith. There's something we have to be really careful with, though, as we're going to seek this out and we're going to be intentional about this as a church over the coming weeks and months. And here's what we have to be careful with and mitigate against, and that is gift tension. Gift tension is where you focus so much on your gifting that you elevate it over the gifting of others. Here's an example. You may have the spiritual gift of mercy, and you may have times where you have just this burning desire to care for somebody in the church. You, you're, you're made known of the brokenness that's affecting them in their life and the struggles and adversity they're going through. And you have this deep sense of urgency to care. And you think the church needs to start to deploy all these resources and these people to care for these people. Or maybe it's a marginalized group in the city and you're like, we need to start doing something every weekend, every Saturday. We need to get people. And then you come around, you share with people and others do not share the same passion that you have about those situations. And what can happen to you? You think, does the church even care about people? Like, why don't they care? Don't they see the need? And they're thinking about, like, what, what else should the church be doing? You see, these are not bad questions to ask. And it's actually wonderful when people with gifts of mercy come and say, hey, guys, I, I, I don't think that we're caring for this person well or we're, we're overlooking this community and this opportunity in our city can really spur the church to action, but you can draw the wrong conclusions about people because your passion is so deep for mercy because of your spiritual gifting that you can conclude that other people that don't feel like you don't care about people. It's not true. It's gift tension where you elevate your gift over the gifting of others. Another example would be maybe you spend time with other people, with someone, and you, you're at the end of the workday and you, you're you know, at happy hour and getting a bite to eat and spending time with them. And they're like, it was a really hard day today. I, uh, you know, I've only prayed for an hour and uh, I can't wait to get home and I'm going to pour a cup of tea and I'm going to go to my prayer closet because they have the spiritual gift of intercession, of prayer. And, and you're like, wait a second, you only prayed for an hour? Like I prayed for three minutes and I ran out of things to say. And like a prayer closet, what's a prayer closet? I have a shoe closet. I don't know about a prayer closet. And you can start to feel insecure because this person that you're around has the spiritual gift of prayer or intercession and you're like, man, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I've ever prayed an hour. Maybe I'm not a Christian. You know, what's wrong with me? Maybe God doesn't like me. That's why I'm facing all these problems because I don't have a prayer closet. <laughs> you see, it's gift tension where you elevate the gifting of someone else over your gifting. You see, most of us pray out of obedience. It's a discipline. It takes work and focus. We know it's important because it's powerful and we want to connect with God. But those that have the spiritual gift of intercession or prayer, it's, it's different. And if you treat that as the norm and elevate that over your gifting, you start to feel insecure. And, and that's really unfortunate. You see, if there's 21 spiritual gifts represented in the church and you have a few of them and they're being deployed... That means that there's 21 different passions flowing in different ways. Some people are passionate about prayer or mercy or giving or teaching, whatever it may be. 
And they're all important. And they all work together. We can't elevate one over the other. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 12, 21. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the hand cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. So we have to be really careful that in, as we discover the spiritual gifts that we have and we see them developed and we deploy them into the church and we begin to walk in our purpose of maturing together in the Lord and building the church that we don't allow certain gifts to be elevated over others. To where we're like, I don't really, we don't really need that gift. That's really dangerous to do. See, what we find is that as we posture ourselves with kindness and humility and love, and as we're solidified in our position as one, intertwined, and as we serve out of our power, which is the gifting that we've been given, and we discover that and develop that, and we deploy that, we begin to understand our purpose, which is to build unity in the church and to grow in maturity in Christ together. And what all of this does is it provides our prosperity. Look at verse 14. The Apostle Paul says, then, so when all this has taken place, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Most of us here would not admit that we're easily tricked but we are. We are tossed around by new teaching and new thoughts all the time that we believe are right and good and things that we find out later were in fact lie and destructive. We believed at one time that they were the best thing going and we gave so much time and attention to them because we were tricked. I don't know if you know this about me, but I I love magic. Um, Spoiler alert, magic is not real. And uh, I don't know, you know, it's like sometimes you got to say that with like wrestling, it's not real, you know, like the, the WWF one, you know, where they're always screaming, that's not real. Magic's not real, but we love it. And here's why we love it. I mean, at least for me, because we don't know how the trick is taking place, but we know it's a trick, but it seems completely real. It's captivating. It's like, how did that happen? I don't really know. It's harmless fun. It's enjoyable. I actually want to do a magic trick. Can I do a magic trick right now? You're like, wait, what did I sign up for here? Okay, I want to ask someone to raise their hand to be a volunteer. I'm not even joking right now. Okay, Yef raised his hand, but listen, he raised his hand, but just so you know that like we didn't talk about this beforehand, I mean, you could say no, but then they're like, he's lying. So do you want me to invite Yef up or Sarah raised her hand as well? Which one? Okay, Yef, come on up. Sorry, Sarah. Come on up, Yef. Give him a round of applause. Okay. It's a really, so here's what, we didn't talk beforehand, right? You have, you have no idea what's going to happen. You seem nervous. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Okay, so let me show you. It's a deck of cards. Okay. If you look at the cards, normal deck of cards, right? Uh-huh. Okay. So I'm going to ask you to choose a card, okay? You can choose any card you want. This one? Okay, do not let me see it, okay? If you want to show it to a few people so that, like, we're not, like, 
Okay, don't let me see. Okay. I'm just going to ask you a few questions, okay? I want you to name the first two people that come to your mind. Yeah, no, anyone. Uh, Jeff, Tommy. Okay. Name three colors right now. Go. Blue, yellow, orange. Up or down? Down. Name, pick a number, one, two, a thousand. Yeah, just any number. Pick right now. Go. 355. 355. Do you like airplanes or cars? Pick, which one? Cars. Pick cars. I could be, honestly, I could be wrong, but I think your card is a tennis spades. Is it a tennis spades? That's witchcraft. That's witchcraft. That's what he said. I'm not going to lie, I was super nervous to do that. I was like, this could be real bad if it doesn't work. But see, here's the thing. That was a trick. And I know all of you are going to be like, come after me after. How did you do that? You said it was a trick, but how did you do that? See, this is why it's captivating, is because you, you know that it's a trick. I told you it's a trick, but you're like, I don't know how that was done. It's harmless fun. But see, what's really dangerous is when you're tricked and you don't know you're being tricked and you believe it's true. Like if you walked out of here and you're like, he's into witchcraft. He read his mind. He said car and 355 and somehow he knew tennis spades. You see, we're, we're tricked all the time in ways just like that, but we don't know it. We are preached to messages through YouTube and through social media and through all these different facets, through our conversations at work. And how many times have you been watching a YouTube video or listening to a podcast and you've heard something and you're like, yes, I'm going to do that. That's going to make my life better and more meaningful and wonderful and significant. I'm going to be happy. And you try it and it, it works for a little bit. Then there's some negative results. You're like, all right, now I've got to try something different. We're tricked so easily, tossed around by new teachings. And this passage here, Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul is saying something so simple. He says, listen, I want you to lead a life worthy of your calling. I want you to walk with God. And here's how you do it. Don't be tricked by what everyone else says. Here's how you walk with God. You posture yourself with his people in gentleness and humility and love. You solidify your position as you're connected and intertwined, that you're one. That you walk with God's people together. You serve in the church out of the power given to you through the gifts that Christ has generously bestowed upon you. And you take the time to discover and to develop them. And then you recognize and realize your purpose. And your purpose is not to walk with God alone and to seek your own maturity in Christ, but to mature in your faith together with God's people, not alone. And when you do all of this, and when you follow all of this, what will take place in your life is that you will see prosperity. It's what he says at the very end here. You will find prosperity in Christ and his church. He says, instead, we will speak the truth in love. We will grow in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. You see, our prosperity is not found in monetary value or the accumulation of resources. Our prosperity is found in growing in Christ. 
But notice what he says. The way that you find prosperity in your life and that you grow in Christ is not alone, but together. As you deploy your gifts, look what he says in verse 16. So you have to ask yourself a question. Are you going to take verse 16 seriously? He says, he, that's Jesus, makes the whole body fit together perfectly. We're diverse. We're from all different places. We have all different gifting. Many members, different functions, one body. We fit together perfectly. Each part, as each part does its own special work. That's how we fit together when we serve out of our gifting. It helps the other parts grow. That's why you serve. That's why you deploy your gifts, so that others may grow through what you contribute, and that you may grow because of what others contribute, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Listen, we spend so much time seeking after meaning and seeking after significance and purpose and joy and happiness in all the wrong places. We are tricked time and time again to believe that we're going to find it in our career and in our success and in this relationship and how other people view us. We're not. Find moments of happiness and instant gratification and then it goes away. There's a really simple question that I want to ask you is that will you take God at his word? Will you take him at his word? That we walk with God, with God's people, posturing ourselves rightly, solidifying our position as one, deploying our gifts in power, making known and realizing our purpose, which is to grow together in Christ and experiencing and praising God for the prosperity that comes in Christ as we fit together perfectly as the Spirit does His work in our church. See, this is the path to prosperity. That we grow in Christ, not alone, but together. It's my prayer for us tonight and going forward as a church. Will you pray with me? God, I want to thank you for every person that you've gathered here tonight. You didn't make a mistake when you gathered your people to be here at this time in this place. We all felt a conviction or a tug by the Spirit to arrive tonight to worship you, to meet somebody new, to check out a new church, to, to come together with the community that we've been a part of. And God, I want to thank you for that. You are gracious and good. And I just pray simply, God, that we would take you at your word, that we would trust what you say. Holy Spirit, that you would confirm the spiritual gifts that you have given us, that you would develop them in and through us, that we would be patient with that process. And, and God, that you would make known to us, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal to us the way in which we need to begin deploying our spiritual gifts here so that we can realize our purpose of growing together in Christ and experience the prosperity that comes from you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.